Welcome to EY's Next Wave Banking in Asia-Pacific podcast. I'm Andrew Gilder, your host and EY's Asia-Pacific Banking Capital Markets Sector Leader. In this series, we will feature insights and analysis on topics impacting the Asia-Pacific banking sector as it reinvents itself to be leaner, more agile and customer-centric than ever. Welcome everyone to the first episode of the EY Next Wave Banking in Asia Pacific podcast. In this episode, we discuss why there is an increased need for banks to be agile and change ready, why banks need to hyper-personalize their solutions and customer experiences, what the transformational trends mean for consumer banking, the role of fintechs and neobanks in creating threats and opportunities for the existing players, as well as how banks can continue to grow in Asia Pacific as they look to expand their presence and capture a larger market share. Today, I'm joined by two of my colleagues and EY leaders. Jan Bellens, our global banking capital market sector leader, joins me from New York, and TC Liang, our financial services strategy and transaction leader, joins me here in Singapore as we discuss the key trends accelerating banking growth in APAC in 2022. Welcome, Jan and TC. It's great to have you both on the podcast. So let's start with a question around what banks are doing as many markets around the Asia-Pacific region, with a few exceptions, really start to emerge from COVID. And the economies of those markets are really starting to revitalise. Banks have proven to be incredibly resilient through the crisis or the, the pandemic, with very low credit losses, much lower than we had expected, to be honest. And they're now really starting to turn their attention to the growth agenda. Maybe, Jan, starting with you, what are we seeing in terms of strategies that banks are deploying with a backdrop of rising interest rates, a a tailwind from rising interest rates? What are some of the strategies that we're seeing banks deploy to capture those growth opportunities? And what are a couple of good examples? Thanks, Andrew. Yes, indeed. With all the change happening over the last two to three years, resilience has been a key word. And I think to capture some of those new opportunities, growth opportunities that are on the horizon, banks will need to be a lot more agile as well. So a combination of resilience and agility will be critical. What are some of those opportunities? I think there will still be plenty. We will still see corporates changing their supply chains and changing their supply chains at pace and at speed. And that creates challenges for some markets, but also creates opportunities in others. If those supply chains shift, that always creates opportunities for banks to capture some new opportunities and perhaps some markets that previously were less attractive or less important to them. The second, I think we see opportunities in the capital markets. Volatility is still high, so we still see opportunities in the equities, in the equity space. And as you point out already, interest rates are growing. So there's also opportunities to capture deposits and opportunities in wealth management that come with that as well. Okay. One of the other things that we saw during the pandemic was the acceleration of digitization through necessity, really, as customers had no other options in how they interacted with their financial institutions. Maybe turning to you, TC, maybe some commentary on that accelerated technology innovation and and what we've seen from that. In the market, we are seeing banks focusing on the customers using technology as an enabler. So we see sort of three big trends, right? One is actually there's a changing customer preferences during COVID. 
the need for less human intervention or interactions during the COVID restrictions, for example, branch closures, lockdown in certain cities. So we see an acceleration in the uptake of online banking, even by the less tech-savvy customers, right? And also the need for eKYC processes to enroll new customers. And secondly, I think banks are actually adopting a sort of a customer-centric strategy versus a product strategy. Banks need to sort of align to the customer's specific needs, enhance the delivery model, and provide tailored financial solutions. So thinking about you know, what the customers need versus what the banks are currently offering and whether the banks are actually meeting the needs of you know, the new consumers or the younger consumers. Typically, older consumers may care more about interest rates and branches, but younger consumers probably put more value on digital capabilities and the access to newer trends such as digital assets. And last but not least, I think technology has sort of accelerated innovations. So we see sort of personalization with use of big data analytics to enhance the profiling and segmentation and also to provide tailored value propositions. And this is where the digital players are pretty strong at. Okay, thanks TC. And you mentioned consumers there. One of the things that I, that really fascinates me in consumer banking is how experiences that customers have in other parts of their lives are influencing the way they consume banking products and wealth products and other financial services products. You know, you think about the way we consume food now through delivery platforms or movies through online platforms and so forth. How's that influencing the customer expectation on their bank? Perhaps starting with you, Jan. Yes, Andrew, I think that's a big driver of digitization and hyper-personalization. It actually means that a lot of consumers are no longer looking or are actually keen to make the effort to look for a financial product. You know, am I going to look for a mortgage when I buy a house or an apartment? Actually, my moment, my experience, my moment of truth is actually I want to buy an apartment and I want to do it as easy and as smoothly as possible. The mortgage is a financial product that underpins the transaction. And that embedded finance is a big movement. And I think people are looking for you know, experiences. They want to buy things. They want to experience things. And I think we will see more and more towards that embedded finance drive where financial services are the underpinnings of those acquisitions or those experiences rather than a destination in itself. And I think that's going to be a big change on how the banks operate in the market and actually how they sell and service their products. In our recent consumer banking survey, we noted that 27% of the respondents to that survey had a relationship with a neobank. But TC, in Asia, that number was quite a bit higher. 35% people had a relationship with neobanks. Maybe some comments on why is that different in the Asia region and what are the trends that we're seeing that, that drive that? In Asia Pacific, I think we're seeing sort of two teams emerging. What The first one being super apps, right? For, for those of you who are familiar with China, you will know Alipay app, which is more than a financial services app. So besides using it for payments and financial services, it is also a lifestyle app with a wide range of use cases. The same applies to WeChat uh, by Tencent, it is much more than a social messaging app and can be used for payments and financial products as well. Closer to home in Southeast Asia, we have Grab, 
the Grab app has sort of expanded from, you know, transport, ride hailing to actually food delivery, groceries, the Grab Mart, to shopping as well as financial services. The second theme that we're seeing is actually ecosystem. We see a sort of a trend that whereby financial institutions, players are actually building their own ecosystems, mainly to increase the stickiness of consumers within its ecosystems, or they are participating in you know, multiple ecosystems, right? The, one of the key objectives is actually to reach and acquire new consumers. And so, TC, do you think this comfort with these super apps is driving some of the increased uptake in neobank usage in, in APAC? Yes, and I think in the sort of in, in APAC with the super apps as well as the ecosystems that they're building, the new banks becomes part of their ecosystems that they are using in terms of, you know, expanding their reach and the use cases that they are giving to the consumers. So let's talk a little bit more about the fintech sector and, and neobanks because they're really, really starting to tilt the competitive landscape, particularly in this region. Obviously, TC, we, you and I sitting here in Singapore, we've seen the, the granting of digital bank licenses a couple of months back and, and even more recently in Malaysia. So we're seeing new players that are coming into the market, not from a traditional banking background, and big players that are going after more than one market. So not just single market entry, but multi-market entry. In Australia, we saw a, a wave of neo banks. Some of those have now been acquired by traditional banks, and some of them, we've actually seen them handing back their licenses. So What's going to be different in the ASEAN market as to what we saw in the Australian market? What's the dynamic and how do you think it's going to play out in this part of the world? Yeah, I think there are sort of two factors I'm looking at. So one is in ASEAN, right? The regulators are just starting to issue digital bank licenses in recent years. As you have mentioned, right? We are seeing a wave of sort of digital banking licenses being issued by Southeast Asian countries. For example, Malaysia just announced, you know, last week, the issuance of five digital banking licenses, whereas MAS in Singapore issued four licenses in December 2020. And as looking at the you know, successful applicants, we, we noticed that a consortium you know, involving Grab and Singtel has been awarded licenses in both Malaysia and Singapore. This actually showcased you know, the ambition not to be just a single country player, but more of a regional sort of financial services players, right? And as we have mentioned, you know, Grab actually has ecosystems that they can tap on to actually, you know, make their new banks, sort of their digital banks successful. So, and on top of that, I think in terms of their ecosystems and their digital wallets proposition, it can actually help in terms of the adoption of the new digital bank financial services and actually reduce the cost of acquiring or upselling customers. And the second point here is around Young consumers in ASEAN, right, are increasingly looking to fintechs sort of for the better digital capabilities as well as, you know, access to, you know, digital assets, for example, cryptocurrencies. While many traditional banks are still assessing their digital asset strategy and whether to offer such asset classes to its consumers, right, which are deemed high risk, fintechs are actually penetrating this gap to actually offer uh, innovative products and offerings to attract the younger customers. So coming back to you, Jan, there's lots of, for the people listening to this podcast, many of them might be sitting in a traditional bank. They might be leaders in, in a traditional bank, an, an incumbent bank. What does all this mean for them? How will the customer expectation change with these new entrants coming into the market? And I guess more importantly, if I'm a traditional banker, how do I respond to that, 
that competitive landscape? Andrew, I think that's a real challenge. And I think as TC already highlighted, our consumer banking survey shows that you know there's a real segment and generation of customers that really are big on digital and mobile adoption and also big on adoption of new products such as digital assets. But at the same time, in traditional banks, there's still a large group of customers that want to be served differently, that might want to be served in a more traditional way. So it's really critical for these consumer banks to make sure they can actually hyper-personalize their offering and can actually play both worlds. And that requires that has great implications for talent and for technology. You still want to make sure that you can actually serve your customers in the branch with people that drive great customer experiences and provide great service. And all of that, I think, is underpinned by talent, talent that also gets digitally savvy and that stays close to the customer, and then a flexible technology platform that can serve both those customers that still want to use branches or more traditional means of interacting with the bank and those that are fully mobile and fully digital. Yeah, digital assets um, you mentioned there, we'll come back to that shortly in a regulatory context, and we're going to do a deep dive into that topic in a subsequent webcast. Maybe just turning to the broader market in APAC, I still think the APAC market is one of the most attractive in the world at the moment. There's still lots of opportunities despite the rocky road we've had over the last couple of years. What's the sentiment around the opportunities in, in this part of the world? So if you are a, a banker or advising a banker, what pockets, either by market or by product line, where do we see those opportunities? Thanks, Andrew. And yes, there's still a lot of interest from international banks uh, in, in the region. There's still, there's still great growth opportunities across the market that's well recognized also by, uh, by a lot of the global banks. I think one particular domain in banking and, and wealth management that has gotten a lot of attention is actually the wealth management space. The wealth creation over the past decade in Asia has been tremendous, and that's been driven by entrepreneurs, corporates, and so on. And I think that wealth management space will continue to drive a lot of growth going forward. It's really lifting all consumer segments, you know, people becoming more affluent across all of the markets. And that creates also similar challenges to consumer banking, which is you have some older generations where wealth preservation will be important. And then you have a new generation of entrepreneurs and affluent professionals that are using different tools to manage their wealth. So great growth opportunities, but again, that challenge of hyper-personalization will be critical. And TC, maybe bringing you in here with a lens on the, the neobanks that we've been talking about in the fintechs, how do you see them playing if, in this space, if at all, in this region? So currently, we, we do not see high net worth individuals going to neobanks and the fintechs for their private banking needs. In ASEAN, I think currently, the fintechs and neobanks are actually going after the mass market with the large consumer base to acquire and to service, right? So this is one area whereby the banks actually have an advantage due to the trust and the brand name, and they should be focusing on you know gaining market share. However, fintechs and new banks are typically agile and quick to respond. Should they be able to you know come up with innovative products that their customers base ask for, they can possibly you know encroach on the private wealth with these new products. And what about generational 
change. So as as wealth starts to transfer from the older generation to the generation that are more digitally native, I guess, will those new entrants start to be able to penetrate that segment of the market? Yes. Generation shift is actually a very key factor that banks should take seriously because studies have shown that you know younger consumers are definitely much more digitally savvy. They tend to value digital capability and the experience itself. They are also more receptive to sort of new products and new innovative products. And so product innovation and responsiveness are actually key to cater to this new sort of generation shift. So banks need to be quick to identify the new consumer needs and react to them. Or probably they will risk you know, losing these customers' uh, businesses. For instance, if banks do not offer digital asset services, younger consumers will actually look to fintechs or alternative platforms for what they need. For example, we see you know, PayPal now actually allows consumers to actually buy, sell and use crypto within its mobile wallet. Let's stay on digital assets, but in the context of the regulatory environment, because it's certainly getting a lot of focus from regulators, not just in this region, but globally. What's the direction of travel yarn for regulators? And how can banks take some proactive steps to prepare for what might be coming down the pipe on the regulatory agenda? Yeah, Andrew, as you point out, indeed, uh, regulatory standards for digital assets are very divergent and and different across different jurisdictions, which poses, of course, challenges. But I think on digital assets, they will be moving at different speed. But I would say that the genie is out of the bottle, which is this is not going to go away. Although in some jurisdictions, as you know, it has been now severely restricted. But I do believe that this will not go away. There's interest from consumers. There's interest from institutions. So I would certainly believe that this should be on the radar of all global institutions and that they should look at exploring ways on how can, of course, within the framework of regulation, what uh, services and products can I offer? And even if, if there's still some restrictions, how can I safely experiment perhaps in a sandbox with this trend? Because as I said, I believe the genie is out of the bottle. Uh, It will move at different paces but it will not go away. So I would certainly urge banks to be ready and make sure that they have understanding, talent, and some of the technologies to underpin what might come in the future. And TC, what are we seeing uh, more locally in in the APAC region? In the APAC region, I think just looking at, let's say, Singapore, right? In, In a recent Singapore MAS interview, the approach that they are taking is to be adaptive continually evolving as well as consultative as this is a fast-moving space. So I think in terms of key risks in this space, in the digital asset space, includes the uh, uh, money laundering as well as terrorist you know, financing risks. And the way I look at it is that most banks actually have very strong controls and processes in these risk areas. And actually, they can actually take advantage of these strengths when entering into this evolving sort of digital asset space. Yeah, we could probably spend quite a lot more time on the regulatory agenda. But as, as I said, we will come back to this topic in subsequent podcasts talking about alternate delivery models for financial crime, how to take cost out of the risk function, sustainability and, and ESG and the regulatory environment around that. So look out for future podcasts on, on those topics. So maybe we've covered a lot of ground today and deliberately so because this is the, the first in the series. It's clearly a, a fast-moving environment. We've, we've talked about agility a number of times. 
Maybe to wrap up, starting with you, Jan, if you could give one piece of advice to you know, bank leadership that may be listening today about how would they navigate through this complex environment, what would that be? I think, Andrew, and, and it's great to hear the teams that you and the team will be covering in this podcast going forward, because I think that highlights what is happening in financial services and in the world. There's a lot of change that is continuous. And I think that's really what I would urge for banks that are large institutions, typically with, with thousands of employees. How do I make my organization permanently change ready? I think, and that, that goes back to that agility point, but how can I make sure that both my people and that my technology platforms are so change ready that I can deal with what is coming in terms of challenges that continue on a geopolitical front, for example, but also in terms of how can I quickly capture some of the opportunities when they unlock themselves, either because of regulatory change or because of rapidly changing consumer, uh, consumer preferences. So being change ready permanently, I think, is the key thing. And there's no such thing as I'm going to transform myself and then all of a sudden I have moved from point A to point B. Because point B, unfortunately, is shifting uh, all the time. So it's being change ready on a permanent basis. And you, TC? I think the current sort of bank CEOs should can leverage the trust that consumers already have in the banks. And but on top of that, I think they can start sort of behaving like fintechs. For example, to take advantage of technology to actually transform its customer's journey and processes to be easier, faster, and better for its consumers. And in addition, and also probably to offer, you know, new innovative products to cater to the, you know, the generational shift where that the younger consumers may be wanting in the future. Thanks, TC. And thanks, Jan. So we've covered a lot of ground today. If I was to, to summarize, I'd say Asia still presents a huge opportunity for growth. The competitive landscape is complex and it's continuing to change. And finally, agility is always going to be key to success. So as I said, this, as this was the first podcast in the series, we started at a level of overall themes. In subsequent podcasts, we'll be diving into, into a bit more, bit more detail. Upcoming topics will include um, things such as sustainable finance, workforce of the future, and engaging with customers. We at EY are working on many of these complex topics, so feel free to come and talk to us, and thank you for listening. You've been listening to EY's Next Wave Banking in Asia-Pacific podcast. To learn more about EY, our people, and our latest thinking, visit us at ey.com forward slash banking. If you'd like to have a further conversation on what you've just heard or learn more about joining our team at EY, please contact us via the details found in the description. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen.